Welcome to LaGrave CRC's Sermon Podcast. As we continue our sermon series, The Canons of Dort, we will look into the third main head doctrine, the part of the canons that deals with what people have called total depravity. This is Total Depravity by Reverend Peter Yonker. As has been the case throughout this sermon series, we'll have two readings, two readings that we will use to shape our words. Um, one from scripture, that's Romans 3, verses 6 through 24, 9 through 24. Romans 3, 9 through 24. And the other reading is from this book, Our Faith. Uh, for those of you who are visiting and haven't been here um, the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series on the Canons of Dort. The Canons of Dort is one of our confessional statements, 500 years old. It's an understanding of scripture that we've held in common for hundreds of years. And we're thinking about what that doctrine teaches and how that's rooted in scripture. And uh, today, um, turn to page 130 in this document, and I will read the first three articles there on that page, those paragraphs there. Today is Total Depravity Sunday, which I know you are all looking forward to. Um, I I want to note one thing. So if you grew up Reformed or Christian Reformed, you heard about TULIP, right? And that was the summary of the Canons of Dort. But the T in, total, in, in TULIP is total depravity. And the way you always learned it, total depravity was up front. But in the actual canons, that's not true. The T is the third thing. So the canons start with the grace of election before they talk about how rotten we are. But today, <laughs> today we will get to that and we will think about that. Um, page 130, I'll read those first three articles, okay? Human beings were originally created in the image of God and were furnished in mind with a true sound knowledge of the creator and things spiritual, in will and heart with righteousness, and in all emotions with purity. Indeed, the whole human being was holy. Okay, you hear faculties, um, emotions were good, Mind was good, will was good, heart was good. Four faculties identified there. However, rebelling against God at the devil's instigation and by their own free will, they deprived themselves of these outstanding gifts. Rather, in their place, they brought themselves upon themselves blindness, terrible darkness, futility, and distortion of judgment in their minds perversity, defiance, hardness of their hearts and their wills, and finally, impurity in their emotions. Human beings brought forth children of the same nature as themselves after the fall. That is to say, being corrupt, they brought forth corrupt children. The corruption spread by God's just judgment from Adam and Eve to all their descendants except for Christ alone. Not by way of imitation, as in the former times the Pelagians would have it, but by way of propagation in their perverted nature. Therefore, all people are conceived in sin and are born children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in their sins, and slaves to sin. Without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they are neither willing nor able to return to God, to reform their distorted nature or even to dispose themselves to such reform. Okay, that's the canons. And I think you'll agree 
Now that is a pretty grim picture of human nature. That, that is not a good assessment of the state of humankind. We are blind, we're in darkness, we have perversity, defiance, hardness, and impurity. We are children of wrath, unfit for any saving good, inclined to evil, and dead in our sins. If this is a report card, we'd have Fs all the way down, okay? Um, the word total depravity don't appear in those three paragraphs, but I think you'll agree, you'll understand why that those two words were used to sum up what the canon says here. This is a very dark picture of human nature. And maybe as I read it, you think, a little too dark. Maybe you think, really? Come on. Are human beings that bad? I mean, I know a lot of pretty nice people. Most of you are pretty nice people most of the time. And even people out there that we meet, people who aren't church people, there's a lot of nice non-Christians too that we know in our neighborhoods, if we're honest, right? People seem like decent folk. Are we really totally depraved as the way this is describing it? My wife, Linda, is a kindergarten teacher. And over the last month, as part of her teaching, she's been teaching her, her, her five and six-year-olds a unit on bears. She's been teaching them about bears. And part of that teaching, and this is what you can do these days, is she, she goes up and um, displays on an internet uh, uh, a bear cam. In the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge, there is a bear cam, which is filming bears 24-7. Uh, and what it does is it films a waterfall in Alaska. And all the bears come to this waterfall to feed because the salmon have to jump the waterfall. And so the bears stand in the waterfall, and you may be seeing this, they catch, catch the fishes or they grab the fish, and they feast on the salmon. It's a great feeding place. So Linda's showing this, this video, and the kids are into it. They think, this is the really cool. But as they're watching, they notice that all the bears are catching salmon and are feasting. There's one bear who just can't catch a salmon. This poor bear. Every time he tries to, I don't know if he's not a good catcher, but every time he tries to get it, he can't get this fish. And, he's, and so the kids start focusing on this bear, and they're going, come on, Mr. Bear, you can do it. Come on, Mr. Bear, catch a fish. And every time the bear misses, they, oh. And then finally the bear catches a fish, and the whole class goes, yeah, Mr. Bear. No, I don't know about you, but I think that's lovely. I think, what nice kids. They see the weakness. They see the marginal one, and they have compassion on it. They're drawn to it. They, they want the weak to do well. I think that's good. They've got compassion. They're not bad kids. They don't seem totally depraved. They seem nice. Are the canons of Dort overstating the problem? Paul doesn't think so. Let's turn to Romans now and see what Paul says about human nature. And what I want you to notice, especially at the beginning of this passage, if you notice in the Canons of Dort, it's just sort of piled up phrase upon phrase about the ways in which we were broken. It was like a cascade of bad things. You'll hear the same rhythm in this passage, which makes me wonder if whoever wrote the Canons was thinking of this passage when they wrote what they did. Paul is talking to both Jews and Gentiles, and he's in the middle of an argument where he's making the point that doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, all people are equally broken. So the Jews, having the law, didn't really do them any good. All it did was expose that they were just as broken as everyone else. Let's read. 
What then shall we conclude? Do we Jews have an advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he'd left all the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, I mean, you can hear that Paul's assessment is, is, is no better at the, at the beginning of this reading especially, obviously not at the end, but at the beginning of this reading, his opinion of human nature is, is pretty much the same as the catechism, and you could hear, right, that same cadence of one phrase after another talking about how messed up we people are. There's no unrighteous, we're all worthless, throats are open graves and our tongues practice deceit, we are completely lost. And this isn't just Paul sharing his opinion, this is Paul sharing scripture. Everything in 10 through 18, that litany of, of human failure, that's all Bible stuff. Paul is doing something that the rabbis used to do, it's called pearl stringing, and it's when to make your point, you put one Bible text after another to sort of form a long argument. And so what you have in 10 through 18 in all those phrases is six to eight Bible verses from the Psalms, from Isaiah, from Ecclesiastes. And it's Paul's way of saying, this, this isn't my opinion, folks. Your own scripture teaches we are a mess. So Paul says it. Canons say it. Paul says, and he's right, the Old Testament says it. Here's an interesting thing when you think about total depravity. A lot of completely unbelieving secular people also say it. There's a lot of modern thinkers, philosophers, cultural observers who also believe a version of total depravity. Call it secular total depravity. 
I was reading a Herman Bobink this week. He's a Dutch theologian. He's a, a big book of theology. And in that book, he went through a whole bunch of um, modern philosophers, or not so modern, some of them older, but philosophers, who, famous philosophers, who had given the opinion that human beings were a mess. And he had quote after quote after quote that shows there's lots of people in this world who thinks that human beings are depraved. Here's just one example. Man's name is Arthur Schopenhauer. He's a famous German philosopher who influenced Nietzsche. If you know anything about Nietzsche, Nietzsche had nothing good to say about people either. Schopenhauer says that the evil in people is restrained by the government and it's restrained by polite society. But if you take away the government and if you take away polite society, he said, people will run wild. Here's the quote. They will give in to insatiable greed, despicable money hunger, deeply concealed falseness, and spiteful evil will all again spring to the surface. Thousands of people who before our eyes are peacefully commingling in public must be viewed as just so many tigers and wolves whose mouths have been secured as if by a strong muzzle. Secular total depravity, right? It's the same doctrine from a secular perspective. We are all tigers and wolves just waiting to devour each other. There is no one righteous, not even one. But then what about all the nice things that the kids did? What about those kids, those kindergarten kids cheering for the bear? What about the way people reacted, say, after Hurricane Ian, right? Down in Fort Myers Beach, all those people coming together and helping each other. There's so much goodness there. How can people be that bad? Well, I can't speak for Schopenhauer, but Paul and the canons do not deny that people can do lots of good, kind things. They admit that people can do all sorts of kind things. We are made in the image of God. We are marvelous creations, and that image is not totally obscured and lost by our sin. After God created us, he said, it is good. That goodness is not totally taken away by our sin, but it is infected. Every good thing that we are doing, which we can still do, gets infected. There's this tragic flaw in us. If you notice, the canons say, they don't say, we are incapable of doing any good. The canons say we are incapable of any saving good. So we do lots of good things, but these things will inevitably be twisted. We can do tremendous beautiful things together, but this tragic flaw in us will lead us to do catastrophic things that bring all that goodness down. Think of friendship. How long does it take to build a good friendship? A lifetime, right? A lifetime of kindness and listening and attention. How long does it take to ruin a good friendship? About 30 seconds of poorly chosen words and cruelty to bring all the goodness crashing down. That is our problem. We can make all the good stuff, but we all have that 30 seconds in us. Loose, not loose meads, uh, Rich Mao, in his book, Calvinism at the Las Vegas Airport, tells about something that he did when he was a boy, when he was seven years old, a long time ago. Um, and you know that um, 
if you know Rich Mao, a nice guy, right? He was the former president of uh, Fuller Seminary. He's a well-known evangelical, if you've ever heard him speak. Really engaging guy. He was a nice kid, too. Uh, his, his teacher said good things about him at his parent-teacher conferences. When he was seven years old, he used to walk back and forth to school every day with a friend. And that walk took him along the railroad tracks. And the trains that went along those railroad tracks used to carry coal. And the vibration of the train would, would sometimes dislodge some of the coal, and so you'd have coal on the railroad tracks. And he and his friend, when they walked, they would notice sometimes there'd be a young boy, five years old, really young kid, who'd be there with a bucket, gathering coal. This kid was desperately poor. His father had died, and so his mother would send him down to the railroad tracks every day to get a little bit of coal to heat the house to help pay the bills. Just this tragic situation of this little kid doing this hard thing. Well, for some reason, Smeeds and his friend, not Smeeds, Mao and his friend, got it into their head to play a trick on this kid. They hid in the bushes, and when the kid's bucket was full, they jumped out, shoved him to the ground, scattered his coal everywhere, and walked away laughing while the kid cried. Mao says he can still think back on that incident in his mind and it will bring tears to his eyes and he wonders, how could I do such a thing? Here's a quote. I try to imagine what was going on in my heart when I performed this absolutely gratuitous bit of evil and I cannot fathom it. I don't understand how the boy who loved to sing Jesus Loves the Little Children of the World could also for a moment take delight in a child's tears. That 30 seconds is in all of us. I mean, you maybe didn't ever push someone down by the railroad tracks, but I bet you if you go back in your mind, you can remember times when something that, that leapt up in you. So the Bible and the canons teach that sin has infected us, and to get a little bit theological here, there's two ways in which this infection runs according to Scripture and the canons. The infection is pervasive. It spreads across all our faculties. You'll notice that the cans go out of their way to say it's our heart and our emotions and our understanding and our will. All those things are broken in us, right? And that's important because we can't as human beings say, oh, well, there's one part of us that's not broken. We can save ourselves through that. So in the Enlightenment, for example, they thought reason, right? Reason. Our thinking is clear. If we just use reason, we can figure everything out and make a good life. No. Scripture says the thoughts of our hearts are evil all the time. Genesis 6. Didn't work. Modern people aren't as likely to go to reason. They're more likely to go to feelings, right? Trust your heart. Follow your heart. Follow your passion. It will lead you into bliss or whatever. No. It doesn't work. The heart, too, is corrupted. Genesis 8, the inclinations of the human heart are evil all the time. Right? It's pervasive. All our faculties are infected with this virus. It's not only pervasive, wide, it's also deep. Sin is original. And that means you don't learn sin by imitation. You didn't learn sin because you were watching someone else. You can't blame your big brother who was mean on your meanness or your poor parents even if they were poor parents. It's not 
learned by imitation, says the canons. It's learned by propagation. You are born with it. Surely I've been evil from the time that my mother conceived me, right? Psalm 51. It's wide and it is deep. We are infected from top to bottom, which brings us back to Romans 3. We are all under the power of sin. There is no unrighteous, not even one. Okay. Now let me admit that this has so far not been a very cheerful message, and I apologize for that. But when the subject of the day is total depravity, you don't expect light and sunshine. But this is a gospel sermon, right? I'm here to preach the gospel. You're here to hear it. How does total depravity help us with the gospel? I want to I say, I want to suggest, that thinking carefully and honestly about how broken we are, puts us in the perfect position to hear the gospel because it's when you know how deep the darkness is that you know you need a light. I see that in our society now. I quoted Schopenhauer earlier and I said there's this secular version of total depravity, that there are lots of secular unbelieving people who think that people are a mess. I think the number of people who think that way is growing. I think increasingly people are cynical, about other human beings. They don't trust them. They don't trust institutions. They don't trust individuals. How many people do you find these days who are optimistic about the future and hopeful about what we humans can do? Not very many, right? Secular total depravity is taking hold. And if you're a truly secular person, if you believe that human beings are the only hope for themselves, we got to fix our own problems, and you believe that human beings are just tigers and wolves, that puts you in a tough place. If we are broken, tigers and wolves, and we got to fix our own problems, how is that going to happen? If that's the situation, the only thing you could do is find some amusement to get your mind off things, smoke something, drink something, find something that trivial that distracts you. Or, another alternative, form a really strong tribe of other wolves Find a bunch of other wolves and get together. Make sure you're really strong because you know the tigers are coming and they're not going to hold back so you don't hold back with them by any means necessary. Another way I see the doctrine of secular total depravity taking hold in society is uh, the birth rate. Do you know this data that the birth rate in the United States has gone way, way, way down? Um, went up a little bit during COVID because people didn't have anything else to do but it was very small. It's still way, way, way down from the year 2000. Um, we're not reproducing ourselves, not even close. Why is that? To have a kid is an act of faith and hope, right? To conceive a child, to bring a child into the world is to believe something about the future. That this child can have happiness in a good world. But if you think people are rotten and you think the world is rotten, you think, how am I going to raise a child, someone like me, and do I want to bring a child into the world like this? And so you, so you say no. Life takes optimism, and the optimism is draining out of this world. There is deep darkness in the world these days, and that's why people are ready for the light. In Romans, you hear this tremendous turn at verse 21 
Paul describes the darkness, verses 10 through 20, and then all of, me says, all of a sudden he says, but in Jesus Christ there is hope. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but all through Jesus Christ are freely forgiven by his grace received by faith. The light has shone in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ is the only one who was not infected by that sin. There's a new tree planted in this world. The old tree of humanity was broken and dying. A new tree has been planted and we get to be grafted into it. And when we are grafted into it, there's a different kind of infection, a good infection that comes up through the roots of Christ and into us. It is infection of life and love and righteousness and forgiveness and goodness. Jesus Christ reboots humanity. He's the new Adam, humanity 2.0. And when we are in him, something new is beginning in this community. Something new is beginning in this world, and it is just what this world needs. Total depravity tells the truth. We cannot fix our problems. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells a bigger truth. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And he will make everything new. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, which is bigger than us. For honest, Lord, we know our sins, we know our failures, we know our weakness. Thank you for being able to come to this place and look to you, to have your light shine in our darkness, to root ourselves deeper in you, and have your life take shape in us. Lord, let us be your people for another week in this world. Amen. This has been the Grave CRC's Sermon Podcast. Thank you for watching.